You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. The biggest thing with triathlon compared to swimming is that you have to be so organized because there's so much more kit required just for day-to-day training, but also when you go to a race, you have to have this huge list of equipment that you need to pack and train and like if you're racing abroad for example you cannot forget anything so it's like packing up your bike your helmet all these things whereas as a swimmer it was like well your swimsuit hat and goggles that was all you needed so the biggest learning curve was definitely the amount of equipment required but also the maintenance of a bike so kind of dismantling it building it again all of the things that go with kind of having a bike and making sure that it works properly so that was definitely one of the steepest learning curves in the beginning I think but kind of more I guess on a physical side for myself the biggest learning curve was that the way I trained as a swimmer you cannot apply to how I train as a triathlete because in a way with swimming more was always better because you couldn't really get injured in the pool you'd maybe the odd shoulder injury every now and again but other than that you're pretty safe in water that you're not going to get injured so I kind of applied the more is better to triathlon in the beginning and then I just always have a niggle or an injury or something so actually over the years I've learned that more is 100% not better it's actually kind of training smarter working on those weaknesses maybe not running every single day like letting your body have a day to recover in between every now and again or doing a different kind of training for running. So whether that be a strength session or something else that's gonna benefit your run, but kind of not put a risk of injury on your body, so. That was Lucy Charles Barkley. This is Marnie Sala. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative, movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, Marnie on the Move listeners. Welcome and welcome back. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today on the podcast, I sync up with one of the fastest triathletes on the planet. So turn up the volume or you're going to miss it. Just kidding. I mean, Lucy Charles Barkley really is one of the fastest athletes out there. The British sensation is the 2021 Ironman 70.3 world champion, Ironman 70.3 European champion, Collins Cup winner on Team Europe, and three-time top Ironman world championship finisher. On this episode, I sync up with Lucy to talk about what it takes to be such a legend in the sport of triathlon. She shares what it's like transitioning from her career as an elite swimmer into the world of triathlon. Lucy dials me in to her typical training routines and we do a deep dive into the extreme importance of strength conditioning and training for all aspects of sport. Before we dive in, shout out to our sponsors, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle 
help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go-to for understanding my inner health, looking at my blood levels, and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness. Unlock the power of your potential. And use our code CHEERSMARNIE for 25% off. Okay, back to my conversation. She also gives me the rundown on her nutrition and which foods are her go-tos for fueling such a demanding event as an Ironman triathlon or even a 70.3. We also talk about her recent races in Slovakia, Utah, and Malibu, and how she is having so much fun mixing up her distances. And I get the scoop on Lucy's favorite cycling and swimming gear and her very cool partnership with Red Bull. Of course, she can't spend all of her time training. So I also asked Lucy about her most cherished downtime activities. Even if you're not a triathlete, you are going to love this conversation. Lucy is incredibly inspiring, super fun, and just an awesome athlete. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to your app, scroll through the Marnie on the Move podcast episodes, click on five stars, and leave us a review. Also, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, The Download. And share what you are listening to with your friends on social. Take a screenshot of the episode, post it in your stories, on your Facebook, on LinkedIn, wherever you like to get social, and tag us. We'll tag you back. Now, on to my conversation with Lucy Charles Barkley. You have been so busy for since, you know, they, yeah. the whole thing with Iron Man and canceling the Kona and moving it to Utah. You have still not missed a beat. <laughs> <laughs> it's been full on. So, uh, yeah, we're kind of looking forward to a bit of downtime, but we're kind of still planning maybe a couple more races this year before we have a break at Christmas. So still maybe a couple things left to do, but it's all good. I was going to ask you, you know, I mean, obviously, congrats on winning the Collins Cup with Team Europe and obviously World Championship 70.3. And then I know you were at Super League Malibu. So you you have been, you know, really crushing it along the way. But um, yeah, what do you do in your downtime besides make awesome content? <laughs> <laughs> um it mostly involves the dog Lola to be honest yeah. <laughs> she is our downtime so so yeah she's so cute <laughs> actually it's so funny I have two dogs and I always tell my podcast guests that like don't be surprised if they start barking and I apologize way in advance <laughs> because there's no if I put them in another room then they definitely will bark and if <laughs> they're in here with me at least I can sort of monitor them but I also like fed them so hopefully they'll be quiet <laughs> amazing yeah whenever I'm doing any any kind of zoom call Lola will get a squeaky toy or something because yep. she needs to be the center of attention so <laughs> totally she's so cute I love that you I love when you got your dog and you started the Instagram account for her that was awesome <laughs> oh yeah she is really cute yeah so well how have you been today what have you done so far I know it's 5 p.m in London, in the UK right now? 
Yeah, so today I had a strength session this morning, uh, then a pretty hard run session in the middle of the day. Just done a little bit of transition practice and then I'm finishing with a swim this evening. So quite a busy day. Yeah, this is your schedule pretty much every day. You've got at least three or four different training related activities that you're doing. Yeah, pretty much. It's pretty full on. I mean, a minute, like the minimum I would probably do is maybe one session, usually two, even on a recovery day. So yeah, it's uh, it's pretty full on, but luckily I enjoy it. What activities do you do when you aren't training? So I guess we're really lucky that we live on the edge of London. So I do love going into the city, going out for dinner, doing some shopping, or just taking Lola for a long walk in the forest near us, getting a coffee, some cake, going out for breakfast. We also really like doing, and it's still kind of active, but we uh, we love doing like the local park runs that we have here, which is a 5k run every Saturday morning. And we normally will go and have breakfast after that and try and get our friends and family doing it as well. So yeah, we do like to still, we're not very good at sitting still. So we still like to do active stuff, even when we're in our downtime, but Um, like going out mountain biking and things that maybe we wouldn't do in the normal part of the season so we're being active but in a different way so yeah how did you get into triathlon where did it all begin for you yeah so I got into triathlon in around 2013 and that was when I signed up for my first Ironman triathlon so previous to that I had been um, an elite level swimmer pretty much so I'd had a quite a bad race as a swimmer and I pretty much just went back to the hotel we were staying at after the swimming race and was like, should we just sign up for an Ironman? Because <laughs> we need something different to do. So um, my now husband, Reese and I, we both signed up for an Ironman that was going to be the following year in 2014. And we, we trained for it together. We learned so much in that kind of less than a year period because at first I really did think you could probably do an Ironman on a mountain bike and I was like well we own a mountain bike um and then we soon learned that you definitely cannot do it on a mountain bike because you won't finish I don't actually believe you're allowed to I think I might have seen someone do it before but it's not advised because it would take a long long time so we trained together for that Ironman we kind of gradually invested in more and more kit so we did have a road bike and then about a month before the Ironman we both got time trial bikes and again I wouldn't advise that either because you should practice on a time trial bike a long time before doing an Ironman but we yeah. did it uh we, we both finished the Ironman uh back in 2014 and yeah we just were hooked on it after that so yeah we just kind of Wanted to do another one the following year. We learned what Kona was. So we both as age groupers wanted to qualify for Kona the following year. And yeah, I guess that's how it all started really. And we haven't left the sport. So yeah, it was a really epic kind of start that was just on a bit of a whim, to be honest. That's amazing. And so Reese was also a swimmer as well. He was an elite swimmer. How did you guys meet? Yeah, so we both met. Um, Reese was actually studying at university at the time. And I was part of the elite swimming like squad that was linked to the university Mm -hmm. so we both met as part of that swim squad but actually Reese was a sprint athlete and I was a distance athlete so we both had very different backgrounds in sport I think Reese is quite lucky because as a kid he did so many different sports so he actually did karate kickboxing like loads of different martial arts type sports and he played squash as well so Although he didn't have a huge level of endurance, he'd always done lots of different things. So his body was quite robust to running and doing different things. Whereas 
I had a massive engine from being a distance athlete, but my body was only really used to being a swimmer. So I would get injured a lot more in the beginning because I just didn't have any impact through my bones and it just wasn't used to running and cycling. So um, despite kind of our different backgrounds, we've we both have had quite a lot of success in triathlon. But yeah, going back to how we met was just as swimmers, to be honest, when Reese was at uni and um, we both kind of trained together, even though he was a sprinter we would do like other training together. So we might go to the gym together. Right. Reese was always really good at thinking outside the box because he was doing a sports science degree. So he might say, actually, Lucy, if you try and do this in your training, you might find that that works. So I would go and try something else in the gym or even actually maybe going for a run would kind of just be a good way of cross training. So right. we experimented with different kind of training even then as swimmers. That's really great also to have someone that you are in a relationship with that is also sharing these similar athletic goals, even if they're different, to be able on those days when you don't want to go hit the gym or do your strength session or go do whatever it is you have to do, that you at least have another person that you can bounce stuff off of and say, and then they can be the one who says, let's just do it. Yeah, 100%. And I actually think like, triathlon can be quite a lonely sport if you're doing it on your own. So there's a lot of pro athletes I know that do all of their training on their own and I'm like I don't know how you do that I'm so lucky that Reese and I do it together we try and make all of our training fun we can be slightly competitive with one another yeah. so that that in itself just allows you to get a little bit more from every session but it also it doesn't make it so monotonous because you have got someone else to talk to and someone else to bounce off of so you're right it, that definitely helps 100 percent. yeah I know my partner and I train for triathlon together. So when we started dating, I got her into triathlon. She was running. And and that now she's we're so competitive. But we're not even I mean, we're not in the same age group. We're super competitive. Like we sit on training peaks and like my fitness level right now is 75 and hers is probably like 50. And the reason is because I've been cycling a lot and she kind of dropped cycling a little bit okay. since you know, we did our last triathlon was in August, but I did a century in September and she was pissed at cycling. Like she's just mad at the sport in general. <laughs> so she just dropped it. Like she's like, I'm done. And she's really into swimming and I'm kind of like not really interested in going to the pool. So we try to motivate each other, but then it becomes this point where if I mention cycling to her, she'll kill me. So <laughs> she's buying a new bike and I'm kind of hoping that that will inspire her to get back out there and start cycling again even though now of course I'm like way in a different space than her but it's not like we ride together anyway because we're different paces it's a whole I don't know if you experience this but I worry so much about her when we're out on the bike I mean I maybe it's not the same thing I can't focus on cycling so actually sometimes I like to ride without her (laughs) I know what you mean even with that that Reese and I have kind of discovered over the years that we cannot race on the same day because one of us or both of us will be worrying about the others so I remember when we were racing in South Africa and Reese was racing in the male pro field and it was I think one of his first ever pro races so I really wanted him to do well in the race and we it was an out and back course that you did twice so the first time I saw him and he was right up there and I was like oh wow he's having an amazing race okay I can relax for a little bit because I know he's doing well and then the second out and back, I don't think I saw him. And I was like, what's happened? Right. Um, and then I, I didn't, 
I didn't know what was going on. So it wasn't actually until I got on the run, he was yelling at me from the side and he was like, I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. Like carry on. But he he'd pulled out. Um, and it turns out he'd actually got stung by a wasp on the bike and he's really allergic. So he basically blacked out on the bike um, and then had to sit on the side of the road. Then he was like, okay, I'll ride into transition. And then at transition, the medical people were like, no, you definitely cannot continue. And they'd given him some strong antihistamine. And it was like, you're out of the race, you can't carry on. But after that, we were like, yeah, I don't think we should race on the same day because it's too like distracting to have that person you worry about. Yeah, totally. What was your biggest challenge or learning curve getting into the sport since you had swimming, which is like such a huge advantage and amazing talent to have as an athlete? Yeah, I think the biggest thing with triathlon compared to swimming is that you have to be so organized because there's so much more kit required just for day-to-day training. But also when you go to a race, you have to have this huge list of equipment that you need to pack and train and like if you're racing abroad, for example, you cannot forget anything. So it's like packing up your bike, your helmet, all these things. Whereas as a swimmer, it was like, well, your swimsuit, hat and goggles, that was all you needed. Right. So kind of the the biggest learning curve was definitely the amount of equipment required, but also the maintenance of a bike. So kind of dismantling it, building it again, all of the things that go with kind of having a bike and making sure that it works properly. So That was definitely one of the steepest learning curves in the beginning, I think. But kind of more, I guess, on a physical side for myself, the biggest learning curve was that the way I trained as a swimmer, you cannot apply to how I train as a triathlete. Because in a way, with swimming, more was always better because you couldn't really get injured in the pool. You'd maybe the odd shoulder injury every now and again. But other than that, you're pretty safe in water that you're not going to get injured. So I kind of applied the more is better to triathlon in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then I just would always have a niggle or an injury or something. So actually over the years, I've learned that more is 100% not better. It's actually kind of training smarter, working on those weaknesses, maybe not running every single day, like letting your body have a day to recover in between every now and again, or doing a different kind of training for running. So whether that be a strength session or something else that's going to benefit your run, but kind of not, put a risk of injury on your body so that was a hundred percent a big learning curve in the beginning was just actually how to train for triathlon right and you probably had to level up your strength training and really build that into all the other training like sports specific training that you were doing too right yeah I think I was I was very lucky that as a swimmer we did a lot of strength training so from a young age yeah from a young age I kind of learn a lot of the exercises so I knew how to do them properly and then it was kind of adapting those to more triathlon specific exercises that are actually going to help me for cycling and running and not just for swimming so that was again quite exciting to kind of venture into more different exercises and I'm kind of a secret CrossFit fan as well so I do like kind of watching CrossFit and then thinking oh how could I do that exercise and that could work well for triathlon and kind of bringing it into my program. That's such a smart idea. Actually, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, you, was that when you launched your YouTube channel? You were doing, you might've launched it before, but that was the first time I saw you doing strength workouts and sharing your training with the world, which I was sitting there doing your workouts because that is my weakest link. I always say swimming, but it's actually strength training. I think that was so great when you started doing that though, also like right around the pandemic, because I was 
following along with your workouts too. Yeah, that was one of the really fun things we did during the lockdown, actually. And I kind of, yeah, I totally agree that, well, I guess actually I had a background as a personal trainer as well. So I always used to enjoy kind of doing that one-to-one classes with people and doing strength and conditioning. So it definitely helps just having that person to follow the whole way along. And just like you said, you can kind of switch off a bit and take your mind away from it and actually... Kind of recently, so I've gone back to my local swimming club just to do swimming. And I've just found it so much more enjoyable to just be almost told what to do. You haven't got to think. You're just following what the coach tells you to do. So it's a lot easier to do that than having to think, oh, what should I do next? How could I make this interesting? How could I get the meters done? So I definitely love having someone just there to tell you what to do. Speaking of the pandemic and YouTube and all the things that you've been doing, I mean, your YouTube channel and also thanks to your amazing sister, Holly. I mean, she is just amazing. She's also like a huge asset to your team because she's shooting all the video, taking all the pictures. She's so talented. I just wanted to give a shout out to her. (laughs) I have to say that your YouTube channel and your Instagram is, and also I share that marketing PR background, is hands down one of the best I've seen of all athletes that are doing this out there. (laughs) Oh, thank you very much. That means a lot to hear that. But yeah, I'm definitely, I'm very lucky that I also had like a small job when I was transitioning from swimming to triathlon where I worked at a zoo and I did the marketing for the zoo. So it was like an apprenticeship type job where I would shadow the zookeepers, write a bit of a blog about the zookeepers and the animals and try and kind of do their Instagram as well. So I think that that's really helped me in kind of building up my Instagram. But now I'm so lucky to have my sister who just takes the most amazing photos. She knows exactly what my personality is. So if I'm not posting and I say, Holly, can you do a post for me? She will do it in the exact way that I would have written it. So I'm like, well, that's exactly what I would have wanted to say. So it's so great to have that. And the way her videos have developed over the last couple of years is just phenomenal. Like she is so passionate about what she does. And I think that just comes across so well in the videos, how she puts them together and each one tells a little story about what we're doing. So yeah, it's so nice to hear that people kind of feel the same way I do about the work she's doing. Yeah, no, it's amazing. So are you still have all the training? Are you calling them training videos on YouTube? Like the, the sessions where people can see your strength training routine and watch what you're doing? You do a lot of that still too, right? Yeah, so we did one quite recently actually where I was okay. showing some of the strength and conditioning that I have done recently. And then obviously in the lockdown, we tried to do one for swim, one for bike and one for run that were like minimal equipment. So you could do it at home and follow along. So this one we did recently was kind of similar, but it was actually more if you were at a gym and you had access to certain equipment, this is the kind of things that I do. So, but again, we do get asked quite a lot. People were like, oh, what strength are you doing? How can we kind of incorporate that into our training? So it's definitely a really common thing that people ask us. Strength training is so important for endurance athletes. We are seeing now more than ever over the past few years, even a much bigger awareness around just how important it is to incorporate strength into all of your training. Yeah, I think it's slowly, whether people were or weren't doing it before, they are now talking about how they are doing it. And we were kind of the same in the beginning that my attitude towards it was a bit like, oh, I, I don't feel like I can be wasting time doing this because right. I need to do my swim, bike and run. Whereas actually now my attitude has changed that 
I believe I'm probably going to maybe get more from doing a strength session than I would from maybe doing a bike or a run session. So I definitely kind of just do take the time to do it and register that this is a real session that's going to help everything else. Yeah. So it's almost the kind of glue that's going to hold your swim, bike and run together and particularly over the Ironman distance where at the end of that run you are just dying I think it's more actually like the strength training that's going to hold you together than maybe doing the long runs so it it is more important now and I think people are really realizing that now when we talk about strength training are there as athletes whatever kind of athlete you are you know you're you're training like a calendar year so you have different periods of time where you're focused on different aspects of your sport and your training do you is there a certain time of the year or a period of your training where you'll do more heavy lifting it's mainly over the winter where I build like a big foundation of strength training so usually just starting at a lower weight and doing higher reps and really dialing that form in again and gradually each week just adding a little bit more weight but doing a a high amount of reps and over the winter, pinpointing what my main weaknesses are and doing the exercises that are going to benefit those weaknesses. So over the winter, that could be up to like four or five strength sessions a week. So they really do become like the high priority. And then obviously, once I get racing and we're traveling and it's way more difficult, it's it's normally only one or two strength sessions a week with pinpointing the most crucial exercises where I feel I get the most gains. And Obviously, not really close to a race. I wouldn't be lifting heavy weights. But during the season, if I'm not racing or there's a bigger gap between racing, then by that point, I've built up enough kind of resilience over the winter to actually do kind of lower reps, but high weights. So Mm. I haven't got to be in the gym for ages. I'm maybe only doing three to five reps, but I'm lifting heavy. And then I've got my set exercises and it's quite short and quick. So it doesn't feel like it's taking up a ton of the time that I do need to spend across swim, bike and run. Yeah, that's really great. And also like great advice for myself included and my listeners to really think about strength that way. So speaking of races, I know we kind of jumped in and started the conversation with you just doing the Malibu Super League Malibu and the Collins Cup and World 70.3. So what what are you thinking? I mean, there's like you said, there's a few more races left in the year, Ironman races. And and then so what are you thinking in terms of your schedule and then are you going to have a shorter down season because the world championship is in Utah in May? Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm down to race in just over three weeks time at Abu Dhabi, which is a sprint distance triathlon. So um, it's obviously super short, but it's still longer than the Super League was. So um, which should give me a little bit more time. But that's that's the next race that I'm going to do, which should be a lot of fun. It, again, it's something a bit different. It will definitely push me out of my comfort zone. And then depending on how I feel after that, I may go straight into having a longer break or I may potentially race um, in Daytona at the Clash Daytona race, which is early December, and then have a nice break over Christmas after that. So there's potential for two races but definitely one I will make a decision after Abu Dhabi depending on how I feel about traveling back to the US and and doing that so Reese is definitely down to race so it's whether I I could go and support him or go and race as well or just stay at home so lots of decisions to be made around that but yeah it will kind of just depend on how much I feel like I need a rest which I haven't had one yet after racing like three four weekends 
in a row. So it'd be nice to have a bit of a break soon. It sounds like you have a lot of fun doing all these races and mixing up the distances, which, you know, not a lot of athletes do. So, you know, what is it that you love the most about triathlon and how do you keep it fun and keep it moving? Yeah, so this year has been all about just trying different things. So obviously I did the Olympic swimming trials. I did the arena games, which was an indoor short triathlon competition run by Super League. I've obviously done the Super League, done some short course racing. Uh, we had the Collins Cup, which was a completely new format in triathlon and obviously had the 70.3 World Championships as well. So just by doing that has kept it fun because there's so much more variety. But I've also found that just by doing a couple of the shorter races, I've been able to kind of bring the skills you need for short course over to my 70.3 distance. So even my transitions in those, whilst they don't look spectacular, they're definitely better than they were because it was never something that I felt I needed to work on because ultimately the race is four hours. It rarely comes down to seconds, which in fairness, it has done before. I've come second by six seconds before on a half and nine seconds before on a full. So actually, that's when you think about it. If you did get 10 seconds in a transition, that could be the difference between winning and losing or winning and being second. So, yeah, actually, I feel like if I can hone in on those skills over the shorter distance, my long distance is only going to get better. And if my kind of top end speed goes up, then ultimately my cruisy speed, I do a 70.3 on Ironman should go up as well. So hopefully it's just going to bring everything up. But at the same time, I'm definitely having fun because I'm learning new skills that I've never worked on before. And I kind of can go and work on transitions for 20 minutes and have a load of fun doing it. And it's something that's going to benefit me across all distances. So yeah, I've been having a lot of fun this year for sure. And I think it's probably shown. Yeah, I mean, but it's great because I think that you're doing what you love and it's important to kind of always, if you're doing what you love, if you start doing it and it becomes monotonous, then you have to like rediscover what it is that you're doing. Yeah, and I think that that is what happened with swimming, to be honest. It just became too monotonous doing the same thing day in, day out. And my ultimate goal with swimming was to try and make an Olympic Games. And when I kind of felt like that was potentially out of reach or I just knew I couldn't realistically do four more years because the love of the sport wasn't there anymore, which was why my ultimate goal of triathlon was just to go into it, enjoy it and have fun and not put too much pressure on and I think that's why I've had so much more success because it's always been about trying to have fun and enjoying what I'm doing. So yeah, yeah, it says a lot about having fun for sure. Do you have a preferred race or race destination that you love? Maybe pick three of your favorites. So no one race organization or city or country gets upset. (laughs) This way nobody (laughs) gets mad. I mean... (laughs) I'd say without a doubt, the most special race has to be the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. It's just the history of the sport. There's no other race like it in terms of the grueling conditions and kind of just being on the course, which is part of the history of our sport, where the legends of Ironman have come from and swimming in the ocean there with all the wildlife, cycling on the brutal course with the winds and then running in that extreme heat. I think it's so much preparation has to go into doing that race and actually then when you land on that island it just feels special because you've done a ton of work and it's the world championship so that without a doubt has to be top of the list for sure um I've always enjoyed the really tough Ironmans as well so I would say that 
Second to that would probably be Ironman Lanzarote, which was my first ever pro race. Similar reason to Kona in that it's just such a tough course. It's quite hot. It's usually very windy. The bike course is super hilly, but you've got some amazing views on that bike course. And then you've also got an amazing run, which is normally well supported and quite flat. So that's definitely probably my second favorite race. Maybe tied with the next one, which is Challenge Roth, which I've done on two occasions. Um, The first time finishing second by nine seconds. Uh, And then going back a year later and actually managing to win the race. And in terms of kind of just how the local people get behind the race, there's no other race like it in terms of how much everyone there loves that the race is going to be there. The the crowds are just huge on the bike. You almost feel like you're riding the Tour de France on the bike course. And then kind of the way the race finishes, you go into like this man-made stadium that they put up every year to finish where you almost run like a hexagonal shape go around all the crowd and then finish so yeah it's it's a really special race uh if you haven't done it anyone then I would definitely recommend putting that right at the top of your list because it's an amazing race yeah and then I mean the Collins Cup that looked so cool how much fun was that that was just flipping the whole concept of a long distance triathlon on its head what was that like It was such a cool event because it was something completely different to triathlon. We'd never seen it before. We rarely, as long-distance athletes, actually race on a team. So kind of to the sport, to be part of a team where you would have like team meetings, all be there together, kind of just building a a really great bond with all the athletes that were part of your team and talking tactics about how you're going to try and win your round and get maximal points for your team. Yeah, I think it can only grow. I think it was an amazing kind of first hit out for that race, but I think it can only grow and improve in terms of how they do the coverage, kind of profiling each athlete in each round and actually giving all the athletes kind of more airtime because there's normally maybe only the lead athletes that are getting kind of coverage in races, but actually to have it in a format where there's so many races going on and there's individual stories happening and more people can tell their story because in triathlon, so many athletes have amazing stories about things they've overcome, how they've come into triathlon, how their own race is panning out, what their individual goals are. So yeah, I think it can only grow, but it was an amazing first um, race, yeah. Did you ever do that race in the Bahamas? I I don't think it doesn't exist anymore. You know what race I'm talking about, right? It's kind of similar in the sense that it's like just super unique and different. Yeah, so that was called the Island House Triathlon. And I think it was run by uh, Beth and Luke McKenzie. And it always looked so cool. Like I think I'd only just, came into triathlon so I was very new to the sport and I remember watching it thinking oh one day I would love to go and do that race and yeah definitely it's not happening at the moment but it was so cool they were racing in the Bahamas for God's sake like who doesn't want to go there um and yeah they had different race formats going on so I guess it was like the early kind of ideas around how Super League has kind of developed and all things like that where the triathlon is almost flipped on its head and they're racing a time trial or maybe they're racing a staggered start or all different ways of racing. So that did look like so much fun. Yeah, I mean, and speaking of Super League, I mean, you were just in Malibu doing that race. So that was kind of like that as well. Yeah, I mean, Malibu, again, was a every week actually in the series. So it was a four-week series and I got to do the last one in Malibu. But every single week they had a different format of racing. So kind of it kept the athletes on their toes because it wasn't just the traditional swim, bike, run. And I feel like I was quite fortunate when I raced that 
it was a swim bike run although it was three times at least we did do it in the order of swim bike run because there's nothing worse than maybe (laughs) you start with a run you start with a run and you're like what what we do next swimming or cycling so yeah that I watched all of them um on their YouTube channel but I was like yeah I'm quite happy mine is still going to be swim bike run even though it's multiple times and super short at least it was in the right order yeah I wasn't really dialed into it until I saw like all these people I knew and then I saw a lot of pros doing it it looks really fun yeah I mean great location for sure like just on the beach and yeah it was a easy one to say yes to for sure (laughs) that's so funny okay let's switch gears and talk about gear and of course all of your cool partners beginning with Red Bull Red Bull has been one of your partners for such a long time how did you connect with them as a brand and what is it that you love about working with this really cool company Yeah, so the really cool thing with Red Bull was they actually reached out to me in the very early part of 2017. Mm -hmm. So I'd had a couple of races, but I hadn't had like any really big results, but they were kind of already kind of clued on to what I was doing and they wanted to work with me kind of from the very beginning and then kind of be part of that growth in triathlon. So they actually started working with me in the early part of 2017 and then that was without a doubt my kind of breakthrough year in triathlon I went on to win my first Ironman I came second at the European Championships Ironman and then I came second in Kona so it was like a, a huge breakthrough year and it was the year that I partnered with Red Bull so that was super cool in itself but I just I love everything about the brand because it's about kind of all these extreme sports kind of they have so many amazing events that happen across the globe and it's always kind of exciting thinking out of the box doing different kinds of challenges and they bring all of their athletes together so I get to meet all of the different Red Bull athletes in the UK we kind of meet up we do some really fun stuff so the whole brand kind of just aside from the energy drink is like an amazing brand to be a part of yeah yeah, I've, I feel so fortunate to have kind of partnered with them so early on in my career. Um, and they've definitely played a massive part, obviously, in kind of where I've got to now, for sure. And then you got a new bike this year. So it was the beginning of this year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I signed with Cube, who are a German bike company. I actually went and met with them at the end of last year. We went and met with them. I had a full tour of the company uh, where they're based in Germany, met all of the team. And instantly just felt this really amazing vibe from everyone that worked there. They were just so positive, so upbeat, so excited to work with me, which any brand I want to feel kind of like that two-way excitement to work with each other. So I instantly felt that. I just knew that straight away they were going to go above and beyond to kind of work on dialing things in, like being super aero on that bike, custom bars at the front, kind of talking to me about where we should integrate um storage onto the bike where nutrition should go how I'm going to carry my recovery kit all things like that they're kind of straight hands-on want to work on everything so they've just been amazing to work with and obviously I've been super comfy on the bike I feel like I instantly got on the bike and was just comfortable on it we could get in a great position aerodynamically in a way that I can lay out the power on the bike as well so it's pretty pretty cool to have worked with them and I think my world title in Utah was the first world title the Cubarian bike has ever won. So that's pretty exciting. I think we're probably going to hang the bike up in their headquarters in Germany. And yeah, so that's pretty cool. That's awesome. And then in terms of wheels, what are some of the things that you think about when you decide what wheels you're going to race in? Yeah, so I also partnered with DT Swiss this year. So they have 
a ton of different models of wheels. Um, I'm still currently running rim brake because the Arium is a rim brake bike. So whilst that doesn't really change a lot in terms of what wheels I pick, obviously anyone looking at their wheels, most bikes have gone to disc brake now. Yeah. So you probably would need to look at a slightly different model to me, but I've just found they've been super responsive. They handle really well in the wind. So I can maybe run a slightly wider front wheel than maybe I had done previously, even in winds. Um, and then I guess the other thing to consider is, are you going to use a disc wheel at the back or are you just going to use a normal kind of deeper section rim? So that definitely depends on the conditions. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if it's slightly windy, but not too windy, you can gain a hell of a lot from a disc wheel because it will propel you forward. But at the same time, you need to be a confident rider because if it gets really windy, you can get blown around a bit. So um, I do often find, though, it's more the front wheel that if it was really windy that you should just consider a slightly um, narrower rim at the front because that's where you're going to be most twitchy. Yeah. On the back, you've got your weight over the wheel, so it's not so bad. But it definitely is looking at the course profile. If it's really hilly, then actually having a slightly bit more weight from a disc wheel isn't ideal. You probably would be better off having just a deeper rim wheel at the back. Um, so, yeah, it, normally I look at kind of the elevation of the course and whether it's going to be super windy or not, depending on what wheels I'm going to use. Um, Kona, obviously, they don't allow disc wheels because it is tends to be quite windy yeah. there. So for safety, they just say no disc wheels. So there I would probably just have a deeper section back wheel and maybe a slightly narrower front wheel for those conditions because there's still some climbs in Kona it's not flat there is a good climb so you don't want to have a ton of weight in the wheels you want your wheels to be lightweight so that you're just getting up that hill and then cruising back down and what about what just training are you training on the same wheels that you're racing on or do you mostly train on other wheels and then just like maybe start to train on those wheels closer to the race yeah so I tend to race still on DT Swiss wheels but not their carbon race wheels because I want to keep them as fresh as possible for racing but then I will like do maybe like a time trial session or a couple of sessions where we put the full race set up and we practice before a race so even actually in St George in Utah I did like a 10 mile time trial just in my full race setup so I could check that everything felt right and that is definitely super important before a race doing that but also it's kind of when we used to swim yeah we would wear like drag shorts or we would make training more difficult so that then when you went into your race suit you just felt even better so I feel that's the same in training that you shouldn't be on your best equipment all the time you should maybe have slower wheels and your heavier bike that you train on so that then when you go to race you're like wow this feels so easy this feels brilliant so yeah there's definitely a a positive thing about doing that as well that's smart and speaking of swimming and you know swimsuits are you are you still wearing roca or yeah i love their wetsuits so much yeah so i started working with roca i think it was in 2017 around kona time and again they've been an amazing brand to work with they kind of love thinking outside the box and like discussing with me how they can improve things which i always really love about brands when they want to actually know your feedback and your opinion and ideas going forward so yeah i've loved working with them i get on really well with their wetsuit and their swim skins are brilliant as well and i i love their training suits as well and i'm hoping like over the next few years we will continue to kind of develop ideas on swimsuits and race suits and yeah again like i said i love it when you can do that with a brand that you work with yeah i mean it sounds like you have just such a great portfolio of brands that you work with and then what about nutrition I mean we kind of mentioned it once or twice just developing the bike to have be able to access your nutrition in different places but in terms of on the race course 
what are you doing for nutrition? And maybe what are you doing for nutrition on the race course for an Ironman, for example? Yeah, so on an Ironman for nutrition, kind of over the years, I've really adapted and changed in what I was doing. I think in the beginning, in the early days, I was actually overfueling, having far too much, eating jam sandwiches, eating too much stuff. Um, I did used to use, I also used to use Snickers bars (laughs) as part of my fuel, which to be fair, I would probably do again. It just depends on the kind of climate where you're racing right. because somewhere like Kona, they are just going to melt straight that away. That happens so, to me all the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I used to like them. They kind of have a real good balance between carbs, protein, some salt in there as well. So yeah. I would recommend them if you want something solid. But actually over the last probably year or so, my nutrition has gone to fully liquid-based. So I will use kind of a couple of gels on the bike but mostly I've already got like a mix built up in my bottle that's got just enough carbs I think I'm probably using like 60 grams an hour which is definitely on the lower side and then always making sure I'm getting enough electrolyte so I'll add electrolyte or have my front bottle yeah. is water my back bottle is energy so I'm kind of keeping that separate so I can really manage that I'm getting enough salts in but I'm also getting enough carbs as well so it's a very individual thing and I've definitely developed it over the years and what works for me definitely doesn't work for my husband Reese. that we're so different and I guess obviously I'm a lot smaller than him as well so I do not need as much energy per hour as say he does so it's definitely a unique thing yeah it's definitely trial and error but it's taken me probably about five years to kind of get to the point where I feel like we've almost got it dialed but we can adapt it depending on the climate where we're racing because if it's cooler, you just don't need as much. But if it's hot, you need to make sure you're getting that salt in and you're probably going to use a little bit more energy. So you will need a bit more energy as well. That's really great to hear. As your body, as you get older, also your nutrition needs change and your body changes. And like what you use, that's what I learned this year because before the pandemic, I was doing a couple races a year and I had one thing that worked for me. And then, you know, not training really for a year and a half or doing any races and also just biologically aging I went back out on the race course and I was like I can't eat this anymore and like I felt like I was overeating drinking too much water you know just all the things I used to do like just didn't really work so I've been trying to figure it out yeah right so and I know you're also a super sapiens ambassador that glucose monitor is awesome I mean I've been trying to analyze my nutrition now just on the bike really it's really interesting to look at all the data and learn what bars and gels and foods are spiking your blood sugar versus providing consistent fueling. Yeah, it's really, it's so eye-opening to see it and how you can see it on the super sapien where you might just have a big spike and then it comes crashing back down if you're just having too much sugar in one hit. So yes, you don't necessarily need as much or it's the way that you eat it. So maybe you just need to have smaller amounts kind of spread over a longer time rather than just having a huge mouthful and then trying to get it down because that can give you a spike and a crash. So it's interesting to see it and trying to keep that line kind of as constant and straight as you can and not letting it drop off or really spike up at the same time. Yeah, I like their score after when you go back and look. This is a new thing on the app. (laughs) (laughs) I kept getting like 40 and 30 and I'm like, why can't I get 100? You know, what do I need to do to get to 100? <laughs> so what about your nutrition when you're not racing? How are you eating leading into a race? Are you like higher protein, higher carbs? What are your, I'm sure this is a huge part of why you're a world champion. 
Yeah, so this year I made some big changes to my diet. I actually found out that my body just doesn't tolerate some foods very well. So I made some big changes in terms of cutting out um, dairy, uh, things like milk and cheese. I also, um, my body just didn't like eggs, so I had to cut those out as well. Um, And then the hardest thing was that my body really doesn't like gluten either. So um, I cut all of those things out. And actually, one of the other things that was really eye-opening was whey protein. My body just doesn't like that either. And I would have that after nearly every single workout. So I cut those things back and kind of, my diet now, although it isn't vegan, most of the stuff I eat is vegan. Um, however, I do still eat fish and I do eat chicken as well, um, just to get that additional protein. I think it can be it can be done well being vegan as a triathlete, but I think when you're training as much as we are right at the top end, just getting some protein in every now and again yeah. is so important for that recovery. So my diet is definitely quite high carb because of the amount that I train, but it also has protein um, in most meals, to be honest. I'm trying to get that, whether that's coming from like leafy greens, which obviously have a good source of iron as well, which is so important for female athletes. So my diet in general is just a healthy, balanced diet. And from time to time, I'll definitely have a treat. I'll have a dessert. I'll have some vegan ice cream if I can find it. Um, and to be honest... Do you have Van Loo in there? I don't know if we do. I think, yeah. I am seriously addicted to this ice cream. It's vegan. <laughs> I'm not vegan, but I have yeah. the same issues as you. Like I can't eat gluten. I can't eat dairy, gluten, and eggs. I can't eat eggs for some reason, which is was a huge loss for me because that was what I ate every day. Yeah. It sucks. But yeah, so I have this new, this ice cream. They have it here in the U.S. called Van Leeuwen. It is game changing. Wow. Yeah, we have an ice cream here and they're called Little Moons. They're vegan as well and they are amazing. They're like little rice paper covered kind of sorbet in the middle. They are really, really good. So they're kind of one of my go-to treats, which I probably have to order in a bit because now I want one. (laughs) (laughs) But they they are really, really good. But I think the general kind of for making those changes to my diet, I've just felt My recovery rate is so much faster. I used to struggle with a lot of bloating and stomach pain, which I don't have anymore. Um, I also used to get really bad joint pain quite regularly after a hard workout or doing a big race. I would always be in agony after that. And I have not experienced that since as well. So I think actually one of the biggest changes is that my body probably used to have quite a lot of inflammation in it. And that's just gone now. So it's been a big change, but it's definitely been hugely beneficial. And I think when I will have a bit of downtime over Christmas, I will allow myself to probably eat some of the things that I'm not allowed and hopefully I won't suffer too much <laughs> for it. Um, and then as we go into the new year and start racing again, I'll, I'll cut those things out again. It's crazy. But you, I'm sure that it'll be great for you. The more you do it, you'll see. Totally changes your skin, your body, everything. Yeah, for sure. It just, yeah, instantly I kind of felt better. And then the more and the longer that I did it, the more I felt those benefits. So being an athlete you're just so in tune with your body as well so I was like this is the best I've felt in training and I'm guessing it's from that because that's the big change that I've made so um yeah it's definitely been positive and I think out there there's a lot of mixed opinions about kind of food intolerances and stuff but 
then if an individual you do it and you feel those benefits then great it's obviously right for you it, it doesn't mean that it's right for everyone but if it's right for you and you feel better then obviously it's a good thing to do yeah I completely agree how are you feeling about the world championships moving to Utah are you looking forward to racing again in Utah in May yeah so I think it would be different if I'd had a terrible race in Utah at the 70.3 Worlds, but obviously I had the most amazing day. I won my first world title. I just felt like I had the best day I've ever had. So there is such a positive feeling about going back and racing there again in May. And obviously it's now going to be double the distance. I'm not actually sure how the course is going to work. I think it's going to be the swim will be in the same location. The run will possibly be in a different location I don't really know if they're going to make us run up that hill four times I mean (laughs) I'm all for it but I think it would be pretty mean if they make us do it so I and I imagine the bike will be slightly different because it needs to cover double the distance so it's pretty exciting I just think a lot of us athletes are just so relieved that we're finally going to have the world championships over the full distance but at the same time because we have Kona hopefully in October next year there's a part of me that I could win in Utah in May, but if I didn't win in Kona in October, then I would be dissatisfied. So it's like Utah is almost like a warm up for the hopeful Kona. And for me, because all of the emotion is linked to being second in Kona three times. So I want to win the race in Kona and kind of have all of those feelings where it's like I finally have done it in that on that island where all the history is and I've had three amazing races but never managed to win so yeah I'm excited for Utah but so much more excited if we can go back to the big island in October. I think it's great for professional athletes everyone has the opportunity to make money. I'm just saying this from a business perspective because it's your job. I think it's great that Ironman's doing like the two races so that people can compete and make money and win and do their job and you know it's been a tough year it'll be good to make it up and also like it is a good opportunity for athletes but I also think it's really hard to give your all so for such a long distance so close together but I I have positive feelings about all of it but there's also challenges but I'm not doing any of them so it's really easy for me to say yeah I think the the motivation to train for both will be the same yeah. it's still a world championship it's still a world title and yes it is also amazing amazing for us pro athletes to have more opportunity to race at the highest level please our sponsors earn some prize money yeah. and, and ultimately make our job actually kind of viable so yeah it's exciting yeah and speaking of challenges and opportunities do you have a mantra or something that you use in the face of adversity or challenges that pulls you through I've had a lot of kind of adversity in races before where I've been given a penalty on two occasions, which I've definitely felt is kind of really unfair. But in that moment, it's like, well, kind of screaming and shouting isn't going to fix this problem. So kind of just trying to keep composed. And every time I've had adversity in training or racing, I've managed to overcome it. And I think because I overcome it in training when it happens in a race, there's still this kind of deep down, I still believe I could potentially win the race even when things have gone wrong. And actually by staying in that positive mindset, you don't scream and shout like a child and have a tantrum. You kind of just stay calm, stay focused. And once you're kind of out of the situation, you're back into that race mode and you can go again. So 
it, it's definitely hard and we all have adversity in our lives but the more positive you can stay which obviously is easier said than done yes. then the better yeah. outcome you're gonna have awesome well this has been so great thanks so much for for hopping on the podcast well thanks for having me yeah it's been really great to chat to you all things triathlon and yeah I hope I continue to have fun and people enjoy following what I'm doing as well yeah well keep posting all the great content you and Holly and Reese and Lola and we I I love your Instagram I'm totally gonna go look at your YouTube now for the recent training session that you did oh thank you very much I think we have a how to structure a kind of swim session one coming fairly soon as well so hopefully that'll be helpful to all the triathletes out there cool and I'll put a link in the show notes to all the videos that I've talked about like the strength videos too and your YouTube channel and everything thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the move if you like what you hear leave us a five-star review in apple podcasts follow us on social at marnie on the move for facebook and instagram and marnie salop on twitter head over to our website marnieonthemove.com for more info on this episode links in the show notes and of course sign up for our quarterly newsletter the download to get updates deals giveaways and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, marnieonthemove1 at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. 